Welcome to the Songwriter Connection Podcast, where we look at the craft of songwriting through the eyes of the songwriter. Each week, we make a connection with a music maker, listen to their songs, and hear their stories. From Nashville, Tennessee, here's your host, Dave Ledahan. Hi, I'm Dave. Thanks for the listen. We do appreciate you downloading our podcast, The Songwriter Connection. Uh, thanks to you, we've uh, built this audience, and I do appreciate you uh, downloading it. Uh, spreading it around, liking and subscribing. So uh, you've just helped us spread like wildfire, and I really appreciate that. We've got amazing guests, and I want to get right to it. Our guest today is a platinum-selling songwriter, recently inducted into the Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame. And when that was announced, Garth Brooks said, um, the world is now complete. It's spinning in the right (laughs) direction now. They are great friends. In fact, they've written a lot of great songs together. In fact, one of the songs this year celebrating its 35th anniversary, If Tomorrow Never Comes. Crazy. Crazy. We'll talk about that and lots of other things. Welcome. Kent Lacey is our guest. I'm honored to be here. Thank you. It's honored to to have you here. You know, um, I've got a little medley that I put together of just some just some of the songs that you've written. Uh, can I play that? Is that all right? No, I don't want to hear them. You don't want to hear them? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you need to hear this, folks. Here's just some of the songs, right? Right. Gary Morris. Yep. Great singer. Yeah. Diamond Rio. I love him. Someone that you love. We know that guy. You're thinking of if tomorrow never comes. Walking through the front door. Chris Young. Wow. Seeing your black dress hit the floor. Honey, they're sure. I always love Restful, cool. Restless yeah. Heart. Yeah. Here's that guy again. Hey, Kent, I'm going to make a prediction. I think that this guy, Garth Brooks, someday he's going to be a superstar, don't you think? He's got a lot going for him. I don't know. <laughs> if he keeps working, right? If he keeps working, if he keeps recording my songs, it <laughs> <Yeah>. might work. <laughs> Absolutely. Kent Blasey's our guest. You're listening to the Songwriter Connection podcast. He wrote, that's just scratching the surface of the great songs that this gentleman has written. And again, what an honor to have you around the dining room table. Yeah, it's a very cool setup. Yeah, man. We uh, you got your Taylor guitar, so we're going to definitely hear some songs, right? You got it. Yeah. You want to start us with one? Sure. Yeah. Um, you were saying how much you like the uh, Me and My Guitar record. Well, I do. And we're going to talk about that. Yeah. About uh, over a year ago, they were kind of saying COVID was over with. And we thought. And we thought. <laughs> and um, so this was the first song that kind of came out trying to celebrate COVID being over, and uh, I think I was just a year early, mm-hmm. but it was the title, it was the first song on the record, 
And it, when I wrote this, I thought, I'm going to do another record just mm. because of that and kind of get stuff out there. Mm. And uh, so it's called When This Is All mm. Over, and we're still hoping it's going to be all over. Yes, we are. Can't wait till long this is over. 
is all over When this is all over I can't wait till all of this is over Hall of Fame songwriter, it's Kent Blasey with us on the Songwriter Connection podcast. First track from this new record called Me and My Guitar. And, and I love this record. I'll tell you why, Kent. <clears throat> Excuse me. One of my favorite things to do here in Nashville is to go to the writer's rounds and just hear these great songs, these great songwriters play their hits, uh, just them and a guitar. That raw truth, you know? Right. It, it's, it, there's nothing like that, you know? Well, and if a song can stand up with just a guitar and acoustic vocal and... Uh, sound good, you know you've got a good song. I agree. And I agree. Uh, Do you think producers today and people that are making the choices for uh, artists that uh, are recording music uh, prefer it that way, or do they like to hear a more produced demo today? It seems like it's all produced demos these mm-hmm. days, and I really saw that coming a while back. Did you? I mm-hmm. wrote a song with Jeffrey Steele, who's probably one of the I most amazing Jeff. singer-songwriters. Yeah. He really is amazing. Yep. And this was before he was Jeffrey Steele, even. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we did a guitar vocal at my house, and we had two guitars and two vocals, and he took it in and played it for somebody, and they said, we love this song. Go demo it and come back and play it for us. <laughs> And I'm like, it's going to sound just like this, only with more stuff on it. You <laughs> more know? stuff, yeah. Um, yeah. But now I think they expect that. And now what I see is um, most writers have a track guy they work with. Yeah. So when you're writing a song, you have a track guy that's doing the track. So the publisher and whoever already has a demo of the song when the song's getting written and yeah. it's kind of crazy to me but uh that is crazy a friend of mine was trying to get a record i mean a publishing deal the other day and the first question to ask him was who's your track guy mm. wow it's like well who's your track guy <laughs> you know i i had a co-write not too long ago it was the same thing they're doing the track as we're writing and i'm like whoa can we write it first <laughs> no you can't can't you do can't. that anymore not anymore that's just the way it is but i think it colors how a song really sounds you know i mm-hmm. it's like a friend of mine plays on the grand Ole opry and he writes the charts and he said these young artists comes on and they're like well i need to play to my tracks i can't play with this band mm. and they're Are like you kidding if you don't play with the band you can't play on opry and it <laughs> shocks the best them players because, in the world yeah, yeah. They're, they're used to wow you know doing the thing with the tracks and wow. uh Interesting. But you know, it's a, what's a really good point about what you just said is I think the arrangement and production really is uh, a big part of why a song becomes a hit. If you think of some of the things, what would Sweet Caroline be without dan, 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 you know? Exactly. And, you know, so, I mean, it's a big part. It is a big part, you know, yeah. and it all plays a part. I mean, just like the first song you played, Headed for a Heartache, um, mm-hmm. the uh, guitar player on it was... Um, Golly, who played guitar on that? But he ended up being the producer on it, too, and he came up with that lick, wow. Paul Worley. Paul Worley. Okay. And uh, he that was the first thing he ever produced. Wow. But he came up with that lick that, to me, made the song. The minute that came on, it was like an old Credence or Beatle thing. You heard yeah. that lick, you knew what song it is. And That's I don't hear licks like that on records anymore most of the time where you hear that lick right from the beginning. You know who it is. And, I miss uh, guitars and music today. Me, too. Yeah, I really yeah. do. Yeah, I do. There's too many tracks these days. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think with the sync coming in, everybody writing for sync, uh, to sync with movies and, and TV, we're, it's it's not going to end. <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> you know? that's no, true. No soon end to that, you know. Well, and part of it with, uh, you know, Spotify taking over yeah. and all that, mm-hmm. what track guys do is they help the publisher not have to pay for a demo. Mm. And, you know, as little money's coming in for songwriters and publishers these days, you and studio owners. Yeah, you, yeah, so you don't have to pay 
$1,000 or $500 to get a song demo, at the end of the writing appointment, you've got a song. Absolutely. And we're living in a time where uh, people like um, Billie Eilish and her, her brother can record it in their bedroom. Exactly. And get how many Grammy, Grammys? <laughs> That's I, think, kind of world. I think Luke Combs' first record was done in a bedroom, too. Was it really? Yeah. Well, look at him. Mm-hmm. Current Entertainer of the Year. Yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah. a different world in so many ways than it was 10 years ago. Uh, a young friend of mine's looking to sell some of his writer stuff, and they said, well, we want to buy your catalog, but we don't care about mechanicals. What? Yeah, well. There's no mechanicals anymore. Now, just to explain, if you, don't, you understand, that's the, the money that you get from selling the, the CD or the record. Right. And um, because people are downloading today, they're not buying that, right. and that is eliminating a big portion of the revenue that's exactly. coming in. Once uh, CDs quit being sold, sold, it made a, a huge <clears throat> difference in what songwriters could make. Yeah, you it know, sure Because during the Garth period, you could have a Garth cut and make more than if you had a single. When yeah. he was selling Just on the album. 14 million or oh, something yeah. like that. Yeah, you know, so. absolutely. Can we talk about Garth a little bit? No. No? Okay. We'll just pass on that. <laughs> now, you're really instrumental in, in, in launching his career. And uh, in fact, I even read heard somewhere that you and you introduced him to Trisha, right? I did. <laughs> did they were both demo singers for me. And Trisha had been a demo singer for me for a while. I met her when she was going to Belmont. And so oh, um, oh. when I met Garth... The reason I met him is he wanted to sing demos in my studio because he's cleaning churches and selling boots and <laughs> thought he could make more money singing demos. And yeah. So uh, when he came over and played me some stuff, I fell in love with his voice, and he quickly became my favorite demo singer for guys that I had. And I kept telling him, I got this girl you need to meet. Mm-hmm. You know, she's really she's my favorite singer. And he's like, no, nah, I got a girl that I use. And this went on for like six months, and we got to be better and better friends, and I kept going look, you got to hear this girl. No, I don't need to hear this girl. i got somebody. So finally I wrote a duet where they had to come in and sing on the same mic at the same time. Oh, my. And it was just like fireworks went off. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. Magic right away. Magic right away, and they both knew it, and I knew it. And I just wanted them to sing together. I didn't ever think they'd get married, you know. But uh, You still have a copy of that demo. I'm just curious. I do have a copy of that demo. That would be cool to hear sometime. (laughs) That's I think he's got a copy of it. I wish he would put it on something one of these days. It would days, be great, know? would it? Why not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think people would want to hear that. I, I do, too. You yeah. know, um, He's used a couple other things that we've demoed in my little studio. So maybe one of these days he'll come in with, hey, let me have that song. You never know with him. He, yeah. He's uh, yeah. His mind's going 10,000 directions at all times. He's usually so far ahead of everybody else that... Uh, you just kind of go, okay, whatever you say. But what a wonderful person, huh? Oh, God, just nobody better. You know, it's it's just so cool to me that after all this time, like you said, 35 years, we're still friends. We still talk. We still write together, before COVID especially. And, um, you know, that doesn't happen these days anymore. Mm-hmm. You can write a number one song with somebody and you never hear from them again. I saw the video of you on his um, Studio G when you were announced for the um Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. and how emotional he was about that, yes. and how truly happy he was for you. And oh, he fought and fought for that, you know. And yeah. The funny thing was, he's always trying to trick me, <laughs> and so the day um, that they called me up to tell me I'd been nominated uh, or was going to be inducted, actually, he uh, he was on the phone call, and it was all supposed to be about he was going to do something for uh, a TV show, and he he's had me put together songwriter rounds before mm-hmm. for some shows that he's doing and it was all about well we're going to do this show and it's the billboard thing and you're going to put the band together and you Hmm. i'm like okay so right in the middle of it i said well what's the date of it and 
they told me, and I said, I'm already booked then. <laughs> and this happens with him so much. I'm like, and he's going, well, wait a minute. Let me just tell you, that's all a bunch of bull. You're really being inducted to the Hall of Fame. Oh and he my. started crying, and oh. he expected me to start crying, but my brain's still trying to figure out what, <laughs> you're gonna what make just it. went on here. You <laughs> yeah, know, it's yeah. like, oh, we just switched gears. And, uh, oh, my. But, uh, yeah. You had he, to feel amazing. Huh? Oh, yeah, yeah. It really was. And, um, you know, he's just been in my corner all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, he takes uh, so little credit for everything that we've done. And, um Mm. You and know, you've written some great songs together. We have. We've got a, a chemistry that's just totally different from mm-hmm. anything else I've ever experienced. And part of it is people don't realize this. He's an amazing writer. He could write every song on every record by himself. He really is. But yeah. um, he usually comes in with an idea that he wants to write. And if he doesn't have one, we'll usually come up with one. And, uh, you know, the other thing about how things have changed, Garth, on every record, half the songs were outside songs. And so he had friends in low places, The Dance, mm-hmm. Shameless. I don't see outside songs being cut at all anymore. It's all kept in the family, you know, in the yeah. circle. And I think part of that's just the money. Everybody's yeah. trying to hold on to the money. But, like, he wouldn't be anywhere without friends in low places. That no. took him yeah. to astronomical heights you know and uh and if tomorrow never comes did a lot too (laughs) well it opened some doors for him you know and uh that was you know that means a lot to me that it opened the doors for him because i always thought he was such an amazing person besides being an amazing talent yeah but then the dance took him to another level you know then friends in low places and yeah so I love the story behind um, If Tomorrow Never Comes. He brought you that idea, right? He did. Uh-huh. And uh, he had run it by 25 other writers, and nobody liked it. Nobody. And what was so funny, so I had just got to know him as a demo singer. And so when they were leaving the first day after they played me the uh, cassette of his six songs, you remember cassettes, right? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> just do all my radio air checks on cassettes. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So. When they were leaving, uh, Bob Doyle had brought him over, and um, he said, well, but Garth writes a little bit, too. You ought to get with him. And so I just moved into this house that was needing some work, and it was getting to be near Thanksgiving. The whole family was coming in, and then it was Christmas, and some more family was coming in. And then all of January, I used to write by myself. And so I said, I'm booked till, I don't know, February. Mm-hmm. And they come, February? I said, yeah, just send me a February date. So Garth... And Bob went back to the office, and they called up and said, February 1. I'm like, okay. Okay. And uh, so he came in, and at the time, he was wearing these big, long black dusters, big cowboy hats, big boots, and he looked like he was eight feet tall. And <laughs> He's a big guy. He's a big guy. Yeah, you yeah. know, he's, he, he looks like he's smaller than he is, but he's really tall. And uh, so I was on the couch looking through some ideas. I always try to be prepared for a writing appointment, and... He was standing up above me. I was on the couch, and he says, I got this song I've run by 25 writers, and nobody likes it. And I looked up at him, and I said, gee, thanks. <laughs> and he got kind of mad, you know, and he says, well, don't you want to hear it? And I said, yeah, play me what you got. So he played me the snippet, and and he said, okay. And, and I said, well, I really like the idea because it's something my mother used to tell me, tell the people you love how you feel about them while they're alive. And yeah. he said, well, what's wrong with it? And I said, well, you're killing somebody off in the first couple lines of the song. It's like killing off the star of the movie in the first three minutes. Nowhere to go. Wow. So he said, well, what would you do? And he says I spit out the whole first verse, which uh, when the Hall of Fame called up, I was pulled out the lyric because they were wanting to look at it. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that 
the whole first verse is written at the very bottom in his handwriting. Oh, wow. And the rest of it's written in my handwriting, and it's the choruses up at the top and then the second verse. And I realized that's the only time he's ever written a lyric down when we've written together. He's got a steel trap of a mind. But wow. that, So I guess it's true. I just spit it out, and he just and he wrote, wrote it, it down. down. Yeah. yeah. And so it's cool to have both our handwritings on that. Now I've got to imagine that's hanging in the Hall of Fame somewhere. Not yet. But, Not yet. Should be. Uh, yeah. People are trying to decide where they want it to go. There's like three different... <laughs> places that want it and uh yeah. he keeps telling me he's going to have a museum so if oh. that's the case i would give it to him for the museum, museum. that would be great yeah. yeah that would be awesome what'd be the chances of us um you know hearing that song <laughs> i bet i can play that do you think kent blazy's our guest you know it's one of those songs that uh you pray you're going to write mm-hmm. and um that'll touch people's lives and we pitched this thing around town for a year yeah. And nobody's interested in it. Nobody was interested in him. And uh, they said, he'll never get a record deal with a name like Garth. Can you say a DJ's going, that's Garth. I, you know what, Kent? And I must admit, I was working in Cleveland uh, radio then, and I remember the first Garth Brooks uh, record that, that came to my desk. And I said, I have to admit, I said the same thing. Uh, but, oh, my God, was I wrong. <laughs> you know? Well, you know, it's such a rare name. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, it's more of a... Irish Scottish name. The yeah. only other Garth I'd known, other than Garth Fundus, was yeah. uh, Garth Hudson from the band. You know, uh, yeah, and yeah. luckily I knew there were a couple other Garths. Otherwise, I'd be going, "Where did that come from in Oklahoma?" You yeah, know? yeah, Cause, Oklahoma. Because all his other brothers have kind of normal names, right. you know, and his sister. And yeah. uh, but anyway, I digress. This is really a timeless song. Um, and this is Kent Lazy. And this is thanks to the Bluebird. This had never oh. gotten cut if it hadn't been for the Bluebird. Really? Want to hear that story in a bit? You got it. Well, sometimes late at night, I'll awake and watch her sleeping. She's lost in peaceful dreams, so I turn out the light and lay there in the dark. And the thought crosses my mind, if I never wake up in the morning, would she ever doubt the way I feel about her? In my heart And if tomorrow never comes Will she know how much I loved her And did I try in every way To show her every day That she's my only one And if my time on earth were through And she must face this world without me Is the love I gave her in the past Gonna be enough to last If tomorrow never comes Cause I've lost loved ones in my life never knew how much I love them 
Now I live with the regret that my true feelings for them never were revealed. So I made a promise to myself to say each day how much she means to me. And avoid that circumstance where there's no second chance to tell her how I feel. And if tomorrow never comes, will she know how much I loved her? And did I try in every way to show her every day that she's my only one? And if my time on earth were through, and she must face this world without me, is the love I gave her in the past gonna be enough to last? If tomorrow never comes So tell that someone that you love Just what you're thinking of If tomorrow never comes You know, after all those years, uh, that song can still put me on the edge of tears. I mean, it's just timeless. And what a message. Um, and you know, <clears throat> I was saying this before, but this is still my favorite thing about Nashville is to see uh, and hear a songwriter playing the song they wrote, you know, just stripped down the way we just heard it. I mean, that is amazing. And you hear it at places like the Bluebird, you know, had a chance to play the Bluebird just uh, back in December. It was the, just the biggest thrill of my life first round there. And you say that song really, uh, be, thanks to the Bluebird. So I want to hear that story. <clears throat> so Garth had been turned down by every record label in town. Yeah some of them two or three times. And so one night he got a call from the Bluebird that said, hey, we had an artist that was going to come sing, and he didn't show up. Would you come sing one song? So he got there, and he sang this song. And Lynn Schultz from Capitol Records had passed on him for the third time that week. Oh, gosh. And uh, he came up to Garth afterwards and said, maybe we missed something. Why don't you come back in? Yeah, thanks. Went back in and got a record deal. Wow. And he played that song? He played that song. That's the only song he played. Now, I heard that story, but I never knew it was that song. Yeah. That is amazing. Wow, what a story. Fantastic. So, thank you, Bluebird. You know? Yeah. Thank you, Bluebird. And that's a place you've got to visit if you're not from Nashville when you come to town. Um, hollowed ground for songwriters. It is. Yeah. You know, there's no other place like it, and um, people have kind of emulated it all around the world, yeah. and um, mm-hmm. people come from all over the world. Yeah, they do. And it's pretty cool when you're there just to find out who's there from wherever. Yeah. Just this uh, little place in this plaza on uh, Hillsborough Pike, and people will jump out of their car real quick, get their picture taken in front of the <laughs> jump back in the car and go. Well, and then people show up and they go, this is it? This is it? You know, because yeah. the Nashville TV show yeah. kind of changed the perspective of what people had on it. It and sure did. Yeah. It's just a little little hole in the wall. Yeah, yeah. what has been there for years. Yep. Uh, owned by NSAI right now, uh, mm-hmm. Nashville Songwriters Association International, which we've talked about on the show before. Well, let's talk about you. I know uh, you grew up in Lexington, but I read that you were born in Woodstock, right? That's exactly right. We are stardust. We are golden. <laughs> we are. And, uh, you know, the thing that was cool, it was um, 
way before the festival. Yeah. A couple of years. A you know? couple of years. Yeah. And, uh, but even back then, it was an artist community. Yeah. And uh, Hudson Valley painters had kind of been around there that were real uh, well-known in the 1800s and 1900s. And um, actors would come up from New York City and do the Actors Playhouse. But a lot of artists, painters, uh, authors lived there. So as a little kid, mm-hmm. I would go around to um, people's houses, and they'd go, well, I just wrote a book. You want me to autograph it to you? Or somebody be working on a painting as big as this wall. And yeah, well. I just thought, well, that's a cool way to make a living, you yeah. know. And my dad worked at IBM, and, you know, he always said, go do what you love. Don't do what I do, you know. Yeah. And um, so I think thanks to Woodstock, I always had this idea in my mind if I could do something different than the regular 9-to-5 gig. Yeah. And, I can hear you. And I then, can, you I know, Bob that. Dylan moved up there way before the festival. And mm-hmm. so we would go up there and visit relatives, and they'd be talking about Bob Dylan living there and mm-hmm. all that. And I think that had a, a little impact on me, too. Of You know, he's left New York City. He's living in this little town. And Were you always a Dylan fan? Were you a Dylan I, fan? I, I was always a Dylan fan. I didn't even know who he was at first when I was... I joined the Columbia Record Club. Oh, yeah. You remember that? I still owe them money. <laughs> well, I think I probably do, too. I, they just don't know where to find me. Yeah. But, you know, the first 12 were free. It's kind of like the yeah. drug dealer, you know. Right. And then the next ones are $60 a piece or something. Yeah, right. You know? <laughs> but I kept seeing these records with B. Dylan on them. And one of them was Mr. Tambourine Man, which was the reason I started playing guitar. And so I thought, who's this B. Dylan guy? Who's you know? this B. Dylan guy? And so when I joined the Columbia Record Club, I ordered every B. Dylan one I could find, you know, and it just blew my little mind of what this guy was doing. And um, it really set the tone of what a songwriter could be. And yeah. In fact, a couple records back, when I, I always try to do a song to one of my heroes or somebody that's passed on my record, and I've got one called Footsteps of Dylan because of uh, Bob. You know, I oh. think everybody who's a songwriter these days, whether they know it or not, has been influenced by what Bob Dylan did. I, 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 I agree. And on your new record, uh, Me and My Guitar, you do you do a Dylan song. Times are changing, right? Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've only done two outside songs on my records. One was In My Life, oh. speaking of John Lennon. John Lennon. And then it, when we were working on this record, you know, it was kind of right after January 6th, and it just felt like a song to do because it's, 60 years old and it's still so relevant the oh, yeah. lines in it are still what's going on and sometimes i just go what year are we in is this 2022 yeah. or yeah. whatever so i just that was kind of a last song off the cuff thing of, uh-huh. of doing it yeah to write a song that's that's timeless like that that, yes. uh, that is still relevant all these years later yeah i, I mean know. that's got to be the goal as a songwriter i mean i'm sure i'm sure that's not the goal going into every writing session you're in but um or I is it it would help you <laughs> know? Would help. i mean yeah. i think there was a time when when that was it you know and maybe it's you know, being an old hippie or something, but mm-hmm. my my target was always to um, write something that may lift people up or make people appreciate what they have, and uh, and change the world in one way or another. You yeah, know, absolutely. and that's why if tomorrow never comes is to me an answer to a prayer. But uh, you know, you're still going for the commercial, but mm-hmm. I. I I was always trying to touch people's hearts, and that was the main thing. And I think Garth's that way, too. When yeah. you're sitting down, it's not about anything, but what can we make on this song that will go out there and reach people? Yeah. You know, where are they? Change the World songs today. Are we hearing them? Are they out well, there? Uh, thanks for bringing that up. I was just going to mention, you know, I call them pull over to the side of the road songs. Exactly. And, uh, you know, so many of Garth's were, and so many of the, the 
1990s were. You know, you look mm-hmm. at all these great songs, Ships That Don't Come In, Song Remembers Dick When, Gibson. goes yeah. on and on. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't hear those these days. And I thought it was going to maybe swing back after uh, I Drive His Truck mm-hmm. and uh, House That Built song. Me, you know, because they were oh, great yeah. songs. And it's like we need more great songs we like do. that. Yes. And I thought there would be some after this pandemic thing came in. But, you know, I started thinking I did a thing with... Uh, Pat Alger and Victoria Shaw for the Bluebird for a live hospice. And I started thinking, you know, people wouldn't even cut the river or... Uh, Not today. Or even unanswered prayers or if tomorrow yeah. never comes these days. And uh, <clears throat> it's just a different thing. And when you listen to those records, they breathe. Yeah. You know, there's you can hear all the instruments like you're saying. You can't hear electric guitar anymore. But mm-hmm. they just have a life to them. And they really do. It's a different thing to me. They really do. Well, you mentioned John Lennon. Mm-hmm. And um, you have a song uh, that really hit me hard on the Me and My Guitar uh, record, uh, a tribute to John. Um, could we talk to you? I mean, I hate to make requests. It's your show. No, uh, <laughs> but no. I love that song. Well, you know, <clears throat> the Beatles changed everything to me and and Mm -hmm. i can get real philosophical about it that you know god had a hand in it or whatever but Mm -hmm. i can remember being a little kid and you know when kennedy was assassinated remember that it was like 911 if i can give anybody else a comparison right well the whole country was depressed yeah you know for months and months and people didn't go outside and people weren't smiling and Mm -hmm. february the beatles come in and bring joy back you know yeah we needed that, and it ch- they changed the world. But from that one little Ed Sullivan thing, everything changed. And, and um, you know, it, it's just magical to me what they did. It, and It um, really is. And they were just kids at the time. They were. I mean, you look. have you watched the Beatles thing? I have. On, Get back. It's amazing. You know, they're still not even yeah. 30 years no. old. Yeah. And what they had to put up with, uh, nobody had ever gone through that. Maybe Presley a little bit, you know, but not yeah. like them being in their early 20s. They really and didn't change things. Doing three re- records a year. You know? <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. I mean, it's just bizarre when With you think how well incredible riffs and chord progressions that you, you wouldn't think make any sense. Right. But they do, and they work, and uh, they were just amazing. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. We could use more like that. Too. We could. You know, it's my, my wife calls them the million-dollar chords in songs. Yeah. You know, like Jimmy Webb's so good at putting yeah. in. But there's none of those anymore either. No. It's pretty much... One six minor, four five, stuck in one way or the other. Why you know? is that? Yeah, but it is. It yeah, is. Yeah. So you know, but it doesn't mean you can't write something else that approaches it a different way. Yeah, and um, I agree. You know, yeah, but they were so influential in so many ways, and they didn't get me playing guitar, but they got everybody else I knew playing guitar. It took Roger McGuinn to play that twelve string that got me the playing. Mr. Tambourine Man, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. My friend Billy Lee has a 12-string Rickenbacker. Mm-hmm. Or is it Rickenbacker? How do they say that? Is it Rickenbacker? Rickenbacker, Rickenbacker. Yeah. You know, they even spell it different spell it sometimes. Different. Yeah. 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 He has one of those 12 strings hanging in his studio. And I just love to put, <laughs> pick, it, pick it up, take it down and play it. And uh, it's just a wonderful instrument. Yeah, yeah. But that was the first one that really grabbed your attention. That was the first one. And I thought, well, I don't know what that sound is, but I want to make that. Yeah, man. <laughs> and it took me a long time to get a 12-string, but, you yeah. know. Absolutely. Started yeah. out, as you know, the guitars back then that you started out on were terrible. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hard to play. Yeah, hard to play. You know, and that, these days kids can get something even like this little tailor that just plays easy, sounds great. Yeah. Doesn't make your fingers bleed. And, yeah. And how did you tune them back then? You couldn't even tune I them. Didn't, I didn't even know you could how to tune a guitar. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. uh, the other thing that was funny, being a guitar player, you'll get a kick out of this. So 
I'm trying to learn these songs, and they're all in F sharp and C sharp. <laughs> yeah. And so somebody said, well, there's a standard tuning, and you're not in standard tuning. And I went, what are you talking about? And he said, well, you got to tune it, you know, like yeah. EA. And once I did that, I could play in G and C and D, but it never occurred to me. Really? Yeah. Wow, that's I interesting. I wasn't very bright, you know. Yeah. And, and no. um, it wasn't like you go go to YouTube these days and, you know, can put a refrigerator together or something, <laughs> you know. And um, so once that was like eye-opening to me, oh, oh I bet. Yeah, and that. for me, I was very lucky. I had a brother, younger brother, who had he was more in perfect pitch. I mean, you could play a, a note on a piano, and he'd tell you what that note was. Wow! So I'd always go, "Hey, Russ, tune my guitar." <laughs> he would do, you know. Well, that, and he was also the kind of, you could hear it. You could hear it one time, start playing it. You know, I hate people yeah. like that. I hate people like that. <laughs> but you know, uh, <laughs> but I loved him. Oh my god! The guy that uh, <clears throat> that really helped me out lived like three streets over, and he'd been playing guitar for a couple of years, so he's the one that told me about tuning, uh-huh. and if I bought him a pack of cigarettes, <laughs> he would teach me a guitar lick, like a beetle lick or, you know, something like that. So, Treating trading bad habits for good, huh? Yeah, that's what I was doing. <laughs> I love it. Know? And in Kentucky, of course, anybody could buy cigarettes when they were 10 years old or whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's so. true. I had to write that hook down, trading bad habits, habits for good, okay. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Going back to John Lennon, though, one of my favorite tracks on, on your new record, and, and can I talk you out of that one well you know i'd have to see the lyric you have to see the lyric see see Uh, there i go again the crazy thing about it is with covid i haven't been able to go like the record before that authentic i got to do some that's uh, a cool record too i got to do uh shows and do the songs all through them and i had john party's guys playing with me and uh this record i've never gotten to go out and play it anywhere (laughs) <laughs> so I uh, I was like Garth with some of these I songs. Gotcha. While I wrote them, I recorded them, but I haven't played them again. But you know, and that's another good point for songwriters. I mean, you can write, a, you know, uh, you, you know, I know guys that write two, three hundred songs a year, right? And I'm like, what are you, what are you going to do with those songs? You know, because it takes time to work them up right. to play them, the ones you really love, and to get it down enough to play it out somewhere. Exactly. So I totally understand. Well, but and I, then I've been working on a new record that's kind of a are 60s, you? 70s thing, so all those are in my head right now. That's cool. And uh, Yeah. Well, play us something new, something, anything. Let me think. Let me yeah. think. Put them on the spot. Save big money and transform your home with new appliances now at Menards. We offer the lowest prices and the largest in-stock appliance selection ready to take home today. Check out top appliance brands, including KitchenAid, Maytag, Whirlpool, Amana, and Criterion. Upgrade your home and save big money on new appliances at Menards. Shop our entire selection of appliance options online today at Menards.com. Save big money at when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'll play a little bit of one if I can remember it and this was because uh, that was pretty rocky but I'll play it on a acoustic I think Good. let me see it's Kent Lazy
hundred feet Seemed like eternity On that Edmund Prentice Bridge But for the civil rights Kent Blasey, Hall of Fame songwriter. He is our guest on the Songwriter Connection podcast. Great to to, uh, to talk with you today. Uh, Kent, pick your brain a little bit. Um, as a up and coming, we get a lot of up and coming songwriters that uh, that listen to this podcast. What advice would you give people uh, that want to pursue this as a as a career? Go back to school. <laughs> Go back to school. You know, I really don't know. I, I hate away. to. No, <clears throat> I, I hate to be. Uh, Debbie Downer, but I, yeah. I don't know how a young songwriter 
who didn't have artist potential uh-huh. to come to town these days because publishers aren't paying a draw like they used to. Like when you came to town, when I came to town, mm-hmm. they'd give you a little $150 a week thing to go write songs. But well, now with no mechanicals don't. or whatever, yeah. I don't know if they still do that. You know, I've heard of some pretty big songwriters that don't have a draw that are just out there with a publisher hoping they get their songs cut. So um, I would say the first thing I tell anybody to do is join the Nashville Songwriters Association, yes. whether they're here or whether in Timbuktu. Right. I just did a seminar in um, St. Pete, Florida, and that was the first thing I stressed to all the young writers that were there. Mm-hmm. Join that. Um, learn to play your instrument good. Study what other songwriters have done. Learn the craft, right? Learn the craft, yeah. yeah. You know, and uh, I was writing with young a young girl a couple of years ago, and I was asking her who her uh, inspirations were. She said, well, none of that matters. All that matters is what's happening now. Huh? <laughs> That's what I said. What? <laughs> yeah, we don't care about anything that went before. Okay. I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> you might be able to learn something. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean... Uh-huh. I always thought that reading books was really good because you can see how authors uh, write sentences and yes. describe things. But Garthen, he doesn't read, so I'm like, I guess nope. I don't know what I'm talking about, <laughs> you know. But uh, Nashville Songwriters Association, that's the main thing. BMI, ASCAP, yep. if you think you've got some songs, um, you ought to be able to play them for them. Nashville Songwriters Association will let you send in two songs a month to be critiqued, and mm-hmm. that's so valuable to any really young is. songwriter out there, you right. know, and they can put you with other people. If they think maybe you're a good melody writer, they'll get you with a lyric writer or vice versa. And, um, you know, the great thing they do is this song camp thing. It's wonderful. You, yeah. you know, you will meet people, uh, there that you may write with f- f- for the rest of your career. You know, y- right. y'all come up together. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a fantastic group. Yeah. It really is. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. uh, that's, so that's my first thing I tell anybody. Wow. And, um, they can learn a lot just from the, the emails they send out, you yeah. know, tips on how to be a better songwriter or how to get your songs heard or whatever, you know, yeah. so. That's great advice. Mm-hmm. When did it begin for you? When did you decide that songwriting was a thing? So I had already been from an artist community. Um, mm-hmm. My sister was kind of the the artist painter, but I started writing poetry. Uh-huh. And so like in high school, some of them got printed in the yearbook or, you know, nice. in the whatever monthly things that the school would do. And I thought, well, somebody must like it if they're mm-hmm. printing it. And yeah. so the minute I got a guitar and started learning chords, I immediately started going, well, you know, I write poetry. I'll start trying to see if I can write songs. And nice. that's kind of how it turned into that. And I never, never turned back. Yeah. 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 Can you remember the first one you put together? I couldn't. It's a um, hard question. I think I probably remember the first one that I thought was halfway decent, mm-hmm. you know, and it ended up that I had a little band and they wanted to play it. And it was a country song, which is kind of yeah. weird because I was, you know, a rock and roll guy. But yeah. um, for some reason, I I really gravitated towards country music, even though I didn't know what it was. And I think being an electric guitar player, I was really drawn into Don Rich and... Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, Roy Nichols from Merle Haggard. Those guys were such great all-around uh, guitar players. Yeah. yeah, what pickers that yep. it made me think, well, I need to listen to that stuff. And then some of my favorite groups like the Birds mm-hmm. and uh, Burrito Brothers, Poco, were turning into more of a country thing. So yeah. mm-hmm. uh, I think that really helped steer me. And then when I heard the Eagles, I thought, 
this is exactly what I want to do, you know. And uh, they were mixing country and mm-hmm. pop in ways that nobody really had done before and having big success at it. And, you know, the other people that did it, like the birds and burritos, they didn't really have that much success. But uh, I always talk in this uh show about the draw to nashville so what 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 was the thing that that moved you from um, lexington kentucky into music city was there one well there were actually two things i had been playing guitar with uh, a canadian guy who's kind of like the canadian bob dylan ian tyson ian tyson yes yeah and he's a great great songwriter four strong winds someday soon someday soon that's right yeah Yeah. big hit for judy collins yeah yeah great hit for judy collins and i think tanya tucker or no uh, Susie bogus Susie bogus that's right that's right and four strong winds like neil young recorded that and you know a lot of other people but he uh I was the leader of his band, and so he would let me open for him and do my original material. Up, We toured all through Canada, and um, he was very encouraging about, you need to go down to Nashville. Awesome. And so I was home from playing with Ian one time, and a good friend of mine, Sonny Lemaire, is in the band Exile. Exile, and, yes. And we'd been out on the road together uh, pre-Exile, and so he called me, and he said, hey, I got this guy over here you need to meet, and... So I went over, and Mark Gray was the newest member of Exile. And Mark Gray was probably one of the most talented people I ever met. Great keyboard player, amazing singer and songwriter. And so, had a little solo career, too, for a yeah, while, didn't he? Did, he? Yeah, he did, had a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Sonny said, hey, can't play Mark some of your songs, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I played him some things, and he goes, you need to move to Nashville. <laughs> and so here I am with this guy that's just blowing me away, and I'm thinking... Well, he, he thinks I ought to be to Nashville. I guess that's where I'm going. That's so, where I'm going. Yeah. Yeah. When did you get here? I got here August of 1980. August of 80. Wow. I was three years old. I was a prodigy. But, you know. <laughs> of course. But, you you know, really were. <laughs> you know, Nashville just, it's got this energy that no it other does. place has. You it's know? hard to explain to people that are not here. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it's almost like um, it's in the air. You get down here. I remember we were making the trips. I was going back and forth to Cincinnati, coming down and writing and going back. And I was always feeling like I was leaving a part of me behind when I was leaving Nashville. Yeah. Uh-huh. Because it, it is. It's palpable. I mean, it's there's just something about it. Yeah. yeah. And uh, for a while, I moved to Santa Fe, like 2010 or something, because it was an artist community. Yeah. But what I realized once I got out there... It's a visual art community. It's not a music community. Yeah, that's a difference. And so I would bring writers out there to write or we'd do shows, but nobody wanted to write, you know? <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and even like I went out and wrote with Garth when he was raising his kids in Oklahoma, and he would keep saying, there's just no energy out here to write. There's mm-hmm. no energy. And I said, I know Nashville's got something nobody else has. It really does. But you don't know it till you leave sometimes, yes, you know, like sometimes. you say, going back. And you're from yeah. Cincinnati? Well, I, I grew up in Cleveland. Okay. So the rock and roll capital of the world oh yeah that's uh, right but i worked for the the first country music radio station in northeast ohio okay and there were a lot of southerners that were moving up to work in the uh, factories and things so when we hit the airwaves on that station it became legendary and that's where my career started in country and that was in 1980 right and um and then moved to cincinnati and worked in in radio there run a broadcast school there um and then got involved with an sai like you were saying um and it was the greatest thing i ever did right. they asked me to come and talk about how songs make the charts and things like that and i go you mean there's a community of people that write songs and help you learn how to write songs i'm in 
Right. And um, and I absolutely love it. I'm a big fan of NSAI, you yeah. know, ever since. And then we started coming down to Nashville more, you know, and, and it was here hard, you hard are. to leave. And here we are. I know. Yeah. So Just, I worked with some guys in Pure Prairie Lake that they were based out of. Ohio, well, you must have known you know? Larry and Tim, huh? Yep. Gosh, horns. Mm-hmm. We've lost them both now, unfortunately. But and, great uh, guys. My God. Mike Connor, we lost him, you know. Yeah. So I think uh, they were supposed to do a final tour, but COVID stopped that, so I don't know oh, if they ever did or not. But what a great band. Oh, you know? love that band. And Vince Gill sang with them for a little while. Just a little Vince while. did, yeah. Yeah. After so. Larry, I think. Larry and... Yeah, after Larry, yeah, yeah. So, wow, I've, I've taken up so much of your time, but I'd love to hear another song. You and I want to tell folks to, to check out uh, KentBlazy.com. Uh, you're also on Facebook and Twitter and all the socials, right? Well, somebody is. I somebody think. is. Bev, Bev, Bev is here. Bev is here. Who, who, if, yeah, if it wasn't for her, I don't know what I'd do. Oh, I'd love Bev. She's amazing. She Be is Noticed amazing. is yeah. the PR firm. And, uh, you know, anyway, great. So She has helped me more than words can say. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what I'll do to... Are we closing out? Yeah, what do you think? I'd love to hear more from you, well, but I don't want to take up a lot of your time. I know you're very busy. Well, I emptied bigger places than this. So. <laughs> I'll play the latest, the newest song that I wrote with Garth. How's that? That's great. Um, it's on the Authentic record. And um, then COVID hit, but uh, it's one of my favorite songs. And we were writing this, and we were writing it with Mitch Rossell. And while we were writing it, we were all kind of crying and tearing up and stuff and really and then trisha came into the room and and we played it for her and she started crying and so i thought oh man we got a really good song here you know and so when garth was cutting this next record i called him and said are you gonna cut that and he goes well the name of the record's gonna be fun and i don't think this song is fun so i went he said why don't you do it so i said okay i'll do it maybe the next one yeah that's what i keep thinking (laughs) well he did that to me again he was kept talking about this song on the show that he does uh, 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 what is it the future ain't what it used to be and yeah. he would play the first verse and the chorus but then he would never play anymore and all these people were going how's it end <laughs> you know and so I said well why don't you cut it and he said well why don't you cut it and so it's on the, the new record you okay. know just so I can have people know here's how the song goes so, <laughs> here it is right here Can't yeah. lazy. Garth so this is uh, this is a new that's one of the early ones uh, but this is the newest one here okay I couldn't beat the red light left me staring at a homeless man Credit cards in my pocket And the sign of the times in his hand As I sat there and wondered Why it was me on this side of the door Then it hit me like thunder I knew that man from somewhere before Was he somebody from high school? Or someone that I knew from the road Spent a whole morning thinking Of every friend of everybody I know On the way home that evening Had his name on the tip of my tongue 2 a.m. I sat straight up in bed When it hit me where I knew him from that would be me without you 
Every new day would be nothing new I'd only have lonely to hold on to That would be me without you Saw a man on my TV Oh, he looked like a regular Joe But his story would lead me Down a path that no good man would go All his family kept asking How could he do such an unthinkable crime But I know when he lost his woman Mary went out of his mind And that would be me without you Every new day would be nothing new I'd only have lonely to hold on to That would be me without you You know he still brings her flowers As he sits there and talks all alone I've seen him sit there for hours By himself in that garden of stone And that would be me without you Every new day would be nothing new I'd only have lonely to hold on to That would be me without you That would be me without you Wow, that is genius. What a great song. Kent Lazy with Garth Brooks. With Garth, yep. Mm. Only have lonely to hold on to. Incredible. Incredible lines. Thank you. Incredible songwriting. Thanks for sharing your talents with us oh, today. Oh, thanks for sharing yours. Man. Works both ways, you know. <laughs> well, thank you. It takes a great talent to be a great interviewer. Uh, it's just an honor to talk to you and, and spend some time. Same here. Appreciate it's all her fault. Yeah, we'll, we'll blame uh, Bev on that we'll one. Blame, so. Yeah, we'll blame her. And the new record, I think, is going to be called, going to be surprised, For the Birds. For the Birds. <laughs> B-Y-R-D-S. Correct. Okay. Well, I can't wait for that one. Maybe when it's out, you come back and talk I'll about it. I'll be glad to come back. I know where you live now. <laughs> You're always welcome. <laughs> Kent Lacey's been our guest on the Songwriter Connection podcast. Thank you so much for, oh, thank you. for the download and everything. Mm-hmm. Appreciate you, folks. Thank you for listening to the Songwriter Connection podcast. Find us on social media at Songwriter Connection. Also, listen to Dave Lanahan's Nashville Connections radio show. It streams live every Friday morning on WOBL and WNOI. Look for us on Facebook and YouTube. See you next time on Songwriter Connection.